everybody. This is a Penn State football podcast brought to you by ForTheGloryOfOldState.com. I'm Craven Rosala, and I'm joined by my partner, Brandon Musso. And just when you think 2020 can't get worse, Penn State loses their season opening game. Let's talk about it, Brandon. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't even know where to start. That's, that's the biggest thing. Yeah, it was certainly a tough one. It was one that, you know, going into the week, we were expecting to be close. We knew Indiana had some returning players that were pretty good. Uh, we knew that going on the road was going to be a difficult uh, challenge for Penn State. And then also being a COVID season, we didn't know what to expect um, from the season opener. And it, it was about as weird and controversial as it will get for a college football game. Um, and that's saying a whole lot. Uh, Penn State lost Indiana 36 to 35 in overtime. Man, just a tough one. Just a tough one, especially the, the way it ended. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I talked about in our last podcast just how you know these guys don't have live reps they didn't have a lot of practices Mm -hmm. very limited and you know it clearly showed that they had a lot of rust out there a lot of mistakes I think mistakes are probably the biggest storyline of the game Mm -hmm. that's really what lost the Penn State game for them yeah and uh so let's get into it you know to start the game Penn State gets the ball and they march right down the field they get multiple third and fourth down conversions they actually score a touchdown on a uh, fourth down pass at the goal line to Pat Fryermuth. He's yelling at the, the cameras, I'm back, I'm back. It, you know, he was he was pumped up. And it looked like Penn State was going to, you know, take control early and, and dominate. Their defense forces a stop. They come back on the field. And, you know, the Penn State offense looked pretty good early on. And the defense was really, really impressive to start. What did you think about the Penn State defense? Um, I mean, I was really happy with it. You know, like you said, every game is great to get off to a good start. They got off a good start with the offense. And then you see the defense come out make a couple of stops and, you know, just give the offense a chance to get back out there and score some more points. And, you know, stymieing Indiana's rushing attack, their passing attack early on was kind of huge to get momentum, you know, going into a game that, you know, you really got to bring your own energy. Now, there seemed to be a switch that flipped on this Penn State team. And it started with the Sean Clifford turnovers. He threw a screen pass, Devin Ford, that just, it went to no man's land. And that seemed to really, you know, Indiana had a close call on getting a turnover on Jahan Dotson, special teams play. Didn't end up getting that turnover because, you know, official ruling, but they got their momentum on the Sean Clifford interception where they said just we didn't know who he was throwing it to. Um, And then Indiana was able to go down. And then Penn State still held him to a field goal, which was, you know, really good for them. But the momentum definitely swung on that play. Um, And then Clifford had another interception deep in Penn State territory where, you know, that, the first one was like, a, where was he throwing? The second one to Fryermuth was a really inaccurate pass that set Indiana up inside the Penn State 10. Yeah, that seemed to kind of be, that kind of seemed to be, like you said, the snowball effect after that. They really just never, and him in particular, never really found um, his stride throughout the game. A lot of his passes were to nowhere, nobody, no idea where it was going, just somewhat uncharacteristic of him mm-hmm. you know we've seen him make some really good throws uh last year and you know like i like i said it's really it's probably you could chalk it up to rust i don't want to uh i don't want to harp on how you know how bad he was or you know it's time to make a switch or anything but you know you definitely just didn't have a good game but you know that's you're gonna have that yeah you are gonna have they're that. kids yeah they're, they're kids at the end of the day as much as we Look at them as, you know, these college athletes. They are kids. Penn State was able to, they got down actually 17-7 to Indiana at halftime. They were able to get a touchdown in the third quarter. 
And going into the fourth quarter, we know that, you know, as close as it was, we thought Penn State would have the advantage because they were starting to get the momentum back on offense. The defense was phenomenal. The only points they gave up were off of turnovers, basically. Mm -hmm. um, and so going into the fourth, Penn State started to pick up their stride. I thought Sean Clifford ended the game fantastically. Started off great, ended the game really well. And Penn State was able to get their offense going. They took the lead 21-20. Uh, um, in the fourth, it was a deep ball to Jahan Dotson. He was wide open. It seemed like, you know, with the defense coming back out, that this game was pretty much over. Mm -hmm. So what Penn State does then is they get a, a four and out. They backed Indiana up, and this is when, you couple, know. A couple you know, of sacks from Shaka. Yeah, Shaka Tony had a big day. This is when things really start to change. Uh, Devin Ford gets a carry up the middle. Indiana lets him score. We know what happens. Penn State goes up 28-20, and then Indiana gets the ball back, almost with new life at this point. And, you know, they're revitalized. They get the ball, and they are looking to score. They drive right down the field. And one thing I think is funny is that all throughout the game, the announcers, you know, all throughout are saying how Indiana's dropping these passes. They're missing these open passes. They're dropping these passes. On the last drive, they caught everything. Their receivers did a great job making these insanely tough catches on critical downs, um, and they eventually – they tied it up um, on a touchdown, and then you know the two-point conversion where Penix got in. Still had a chance at the end of regulation too, which is yeah. wild to me. Yeah, I thought on that really interesting. That you know, like we said, the defense played really well all day. A lot of the points, as you said, came off of turnovers, um, but I think a lot of it came down to to Penix, which just didn't look good pretty much the mm -hmm. whole game. Um, a lot of wide open guys that he missed, um, just some bad balls. Um, and they really kept him pretty contained in terms of the pocket. He didn't really, he didn't really get out of the pocket, escape the, escape the the rush that that often. So you know that was that was a plus. But he he really showed up when he needed to in that last drive, and that's what really killed Penn State. Yeah, I mean you mentioned Penix being contained in terms of the um, the running game and in the pocket. His longest run of the day was for one yard, and it was a touchdown. <laughs> so uh, you know that's. That's ideal if you're the Penn State defense. Yeah. We knew that was going to be one of the keys to the game going into this week um, was keeping him contained. Um, and then passing the ball, he obviously wasn't um, doing too well either. Let's talk about right, right at the end of regulation, Penn State and Indiana are tied going into overtime. Jordan Stout just misses a 57-yard field, which, in my opinion, going to the third down is third and inches. My thing is, why did we not try to get more yards on that play? We threw a fade down the sideline that – it's a, in my opinion, it's a high risk, uh, high reward situation, but I think the risk is too high. If you trust Jordan Stout to make 57, why don't we try to get a couple more yards to, to get to like 52, 50, you know, 53, 52 in that range? Yeah. I mean, you know, what could it hurt getting, you know, five or six more yards for him yeah. to make it a little bit easier so he doesn't have to kick it as far because as we saw, it was short. So, you know, a couple of yards might have gotten them the game winning field goal, but you know, you talked about that that pass, that fade route. You know, I think there was what twelve seconds left, uh, second down. Mm -hmm. um, just a waste of a play, in my opinion. It took four seconds off the clock. It seemed like they threw it out of bounds almost immediately. Um, I guess maybe they didn't see like what had developed, or you know, whatever Clifford saw out there. I don't know. But even on third down, with eight seconds left, I mean, you could get a couple more yards. Yeah. I, I don't understand. You know, they they brought the field goal kicker out immediately, and you know. That could have been another another late game blunder, if you will. 
on their part, not getting a couple more yards to give themselves a better chance to kick the game-winning field goal. Now, I'll, I'll elaborate on um, you know the fade part of it, where Clifford almost seeming like he's throwing out of bounds immediately. I, I get that in terms of we need to get the ball out quick, we can't waste time. And also, we're not going to give Indiana a chance to make an interception on that. It's going to be my guy or you know safely at, you know incomplete. I'll give them that. But we knew, again, going to the season, that wide receiver group is going to be kind of the weakness of the team. We're putting the ball in their hands to end the game and potentially, you know, make the big play. If if it comes, if whoever comes down with it, you know, gets it to be like a 30-yard field goal, okay, you know, great. But I thought it was the the, le- the lowest percentage in terms of getting some yards and making a big play. And then also you're putting the, the game on the line with a kicker who's already missed two field goals that were chip shots on that day um, if you get in closer. So I, I just... That, that was something that bothered me at that point in the game. I know the big topic of discussion at the end of regulation was Devin Ford. Now, what were your thoughts on that? I mean, I think they, they talked about it in the, um, in the huddle, at least, beforehand. I know, I know Franklin mentioned that um, he had talked to Ford and, and told them what the plan was going to be. I, I don't know what was going through Ford's mind when he did it, mm-hmm. um, but clearly Indiana was ready for it, and they let it just happen because, and if you remember like watching the game it was a very weird touchdown and like he didn't really even know like what was going on like he kind of looked back and he was like what just happened there like nobody even tried to tackle me and then obviously you know he realized that you know they they wanted you to they did it on purpose um to give themselves more time but you know you go down there the game's over so it's just just another mistake that i mean i'm gonna keep saying it like that was the theme of this game it was the mistakes and that was one of the bigger ones yeah for sure and I think with him, it's it's a guy who has limited experience right now. He he's thrown into this game. Um, we'll you know we'll talk at the end about you know Noah Kane his situation, but you know with Devin Ford, he's a guy that didn't play too much last year, um, and he's in the middle of a, a one point game at this point, and you're asking him to run out the clock. Um, I I dis I fully disagree with Penn State fans saying that we should have kneeled it. That's 2020 hindsight. Because, you know, you, you run the ball, you trust your guys, you need to get a first down to put the game away. Right. He got the first down. Great. It's just that I think an experience came into play where, you know, he didn't get down. I mean, personally, I, you know, I'd never played football in my life, but I'm not thinking in that situation, oh, you know, let me get down real quick. We talk about as a, a really smart play when these guys get down, but, you know, we never really think, oh, he, he obviously wants to score. That's the game plan all yeah. throughout the game. You know, an experienced player just had a mental lapse there that I'm going to say he's going to learn from <laughs> yeah. going forward. I definitely don't disagree with running the ball. That they needed they needed to run down the clock. I think Indiana still had what one or two timeouts left at that point. Yes. They needed they needed a couple of plays. They couldn't just kneel the game out. Mm-hmm. They couldn't go into victory formation immediately. Like like you said, some people are clamoring for. That's just another mistake that, yeah. that just can't happen. But. You know, he's got to work on that for next time. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny, Todd Gurley did the exact next day. He did. And he fell, and he cost the team the game He watched well. the same exact game. <laughs> oh, man. But anyway, uh, so we go to overtime. Penn State gets the ball first uh, as they lose the coin toss, and they look great. You know, the offense continues to roll as they did to end the game. Sean Clifford throws a touchdown pass to Parker Washington. We saw him um, in action get a big touchdown catch there. Um, one thing, the pass was just a little bit behind. I wish he just made it in stride. Could have been a better pass, but that's just critiquing um, at that point. Um, and then Indiana gets the ball. 
they march down the field and you can just tell like they're going to score. They're feeling good about themselves as well at the end of regulation. Um, and it comes down to, are they going to go for two? And I think everybody, you know, from the announcers, from myself, I'm sure, I'm sure you thought so as well. They're going to go for two. They see this as their opportunity to win because if they go to a second overtime tie, Penn State now has the advantage because they know what Indiana does on offense. And then Penn State offense can do what they need to do. If it's a field goal, if it's just a touchdown, whatever it is, they know what they have to do. And then Indiana, they go for two. The play isn't there right away. Penner tests a scramble, which he hasn't been doing all day. He goes for the sideline. The pylon gets hit by the football. The ref calls it a, a two-point conversion. Says he's in. It goes to replay. I felt like live, I was like, oh, he's short. He's short. Maybe I'm just biased. Maybe I'm just a biased Penn State fan just hoping that he was short. But the more and more I saw it, at least in my opinion, the more and more I was convinced he's short. He didn't get there. The ball's out of bounds. And he basically threw the football at the pylon once the ball is out of bounds. What did you think? You know, I, I, I watched it a bunch of times, as you did too. But in real time, you know, what I think the ref was looking at was that he saw the pylon get hit, and I yep. think that's what made his decision to make that on-field call. And obviously we saw that it did just stand. It wasn't confirmed to touchdown, so that makes it just as controversial of, like, what the on-field call was. Mm-hmm. But, you know... I personally was wondering why there wasn't a pylon cam. I, I don't know if that's just in so many of these games now. I, I, I don't know if that's just like an ABC ESPN thing and not like a Fox thing or a big, big 10 network kind of broadcast yeah. thing, but yeah, that would have answered all the questions that we needed if we just saw that one view. Um, because I think if you look at the replay, I think the, the co- most controversial part was the, the nose of the football and whether that had crossed the, the plane at any point before mm-hmm. the other end of the football was touched out of bounds on the line or past the line because it did touch out of bounds. We saw that, yeah, but clear. I think the most controversial part is whether it crossed the plane at any point before that happened. Now, I think here's my opinion again from what I saw. It kind of backs up why the refs could not turn the call over. And from my perspective, he hit the pylon square with the football. It's almost like if you hit a baseball square with the bat. Like, if you hit it clean, you hit it clean. And I think he hit it square with the football, where the middle of the football, you know, his pylon went straight back. It didn't go to the side or anything. The football went straight back. Like, he hit it pretty square. But that's then I have to assume that the ball didn't cross the plane. And you can't assume. You can't. You know, they can't do that as referees. We can't do that as fans. We have to go with what they say um, on the field, which for Penn State – sucks it does suck because it results in a loss they lose 36 35 but i thought that the ball he hit the pylon square so that means that what i'm saying is the football is not angled so that the the tip of it crossed the line i don't think that's what happened i think the ball was square to the pylon hit the pylon and it didn't cross the goal line um which was the the question throughout that whole review did, did the ball cross or did the ball hit the pylon before going out of bounds um i just don't think it did Again, call me biased, but seeing multiple angles of it too um, after the from photos, there's been some great photography work on it. Yeah, um, I just don't think he crossed. It, it's crazy because if that if that camera angle is even just a little bit closer to like straight down the goal line, I, I think from what I noticed, it was probably out at like the five yard line, maybe mm-hmm. um, the, at least the game camera and the the replay camera. 
So if it was just even a little bit closer to the goal line, you might have been able to see if that nose of the football did touch, did cross the plane. I don't think that we can definitively look at it and say like that it was the pylon or not. I think the most controversial part was whether that front nose of the football had crossed mm-hmm. before the other nose hit the ground out of bounds. But, I mean, we could keep talking about it all the time. But the reality of the situation is Penn State should have not have put themselves in that situation. Yes. They should not have been in a position where they had to defend a two-point conversion to lose in overtime. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, as close as the game was throughout, Penn State really dominated this game in terms of looking at the stat sheet, which is weird because I mentioned going back to last year when they played Indiana. Indiana outgained them. They had more first downs. They had more time possession. Penn State did that to Indiana this week. Mm-hmm. In terms of time possession, Penn State hit the ball for 40 minutes as opposed to Indiana's, you know, 1935. It's just they dominate that part of the game, which they never really do because Penn State's more yeah. about the explosive plays right. and, and rather than the time of possession. 12 yards, Penn State 488, Indiana 211. Passing yards, 238, Penn State 170, Indiana. Rushing yards, rushing yards was the biggest one. 250 for Penn State, 41 for Indiana. Uh, first downs, 27, Penn State, Indiana 16. But Penn State won these two categories. Unfortunately, they won these two categories. Penalties, they had 10. Mm-hmm. Turnovers, they had three. And they were costly turnovers that led to Indiana points. You don't win many football games that way, despite Penn State, again, 93 total plays to Indiana 69. You would think that Penn State would just absolutely dominate. They'd win this game by three touchdowns if that's the result. They're bigger, faster, stronger than the Hoosiers, at least we thought. Um, but the game evens out a lot when you have so many penalties and turnovers like this. Yeah, there was there was a lot. They might have won like the overall battle, as you said, but there was a lot of just very particular like turning points in this game that that didn't go in their favor. You know, whether or not it was by their doing, like the penalties, um, the turnovers, you know, whatever it may be, or you know, just the luck of the draw, as we saw the camera angle not lining up, no pylon cam, just little things like that. Penn State seemed to lose every one of those little turning point battles, and yeah. and that was what really cost them the game. Yeah, um, and there were some you know opportunities that Indiana had that didn't work out for them either. I mentioned the, uh, earlier the Dotson um, fumble on the punt return. That was a wild play. Uh, the Indiana defender was out of bounds when he touched it. All that stuff. That was a wild play. Um, they ended up getting the football back anyway, like I said. But then you know stuff that isn't on that on that stat sheet that we listed. Um, Jake Penninger missed two field goals. You know, there was a punt return penalty on Penn State that didn't end up hurting them. But it's like a minor mistake that is so easy to eliminate that they just they just kept doing it. You know, at least at 10 penalties throughout the game, there's a targeting call on Jesse Lucetta um, on a, a fumble that he, you know, now he's out for the rest of the Indiana game, a starting linebacker, and now he's out for the uh, first half against Ohio State this week. Just a lot of mistakes that, you know, we're recording this on um, Tuesday afternoon. James Franklin has press conference today. He mentioned today that they only had around five or six referees at practice um, leading up to the season, which is way down for what they usually do because they usually have, you know, high number of referees judging them. And did he say that, it, you know, they're the blame, like we can't, we can't have that many referees because of COVID at practice? No, but... It could have been a factor in terms of making all these small mistakes that 
they usually don't make in losing this football game. Yeah, and you know, I think he mentioned there was. I think normally they say he said there's probably forty or so practices mm-hmm. where they have refs there, um, and that was significantly down um, due to the circumstances this year. Um, but I know he talked a little bit about the Luketa hit, and you know, he basically said you know there should be kind of um, levels of you know these targeting calls because mm-hmm. there's a lot of different situations that come from these um, from these hits. Um, some of them are, you know, pretty blatant, you know, charge with the head, lead with the head, you know, looking for like, to yeah, hurt somebody. Right. And then there's a play like that where it's almost unavoidable on his part, because once the running back drops his head, it's pretty hard for you to get out of the way, especially when you're going that fast, trying to tackle mm-hmm. him, you're going right at him. And if he drops at the last second, it's almost impossible for you to avoid the, the contact. Um, and so he basically just talked about how, you know, there should be a little more leeway with things like that because, you know, a lot of times it's incidental or, you know, sometimes it's the running back's fault or, you know, whoever it is on offense that has the ball. I think that it was probably the call that the refs had to make. Um, I don't think you can definitively, as the refs, especially during this year, um, I think the refs are going to be way more conservative Mm -hmm. um, and they're going to call something like that nine times out of ten. Yeah, I mean, they're going by the rule book and they have to right. and if there's anybody on this earth that hates the targeting rule more than me please let me know because i hate this rule i hate this rule especially when they're replaying it for you know minutes here when it just ruins the game action right um and then you know you mentioned with Luketa, like running backs going down he gets hit by another penn state defender and how does Lucetta respond to that? Like it's just like his, he let he had his shoulder in position, the helmets clashed. That's why they wear the helmets, in my opinion. I don't know, I don't know. Um, but I was I I just hate the targeting rule, um, and it's gonna cost Penn State in the first half against Ohio State. <clears throat> so on a more positive note, let's talk about things we did like from this team, as sloppy as it was at times. Um, I was actually very impressed with Gavion Lee. Um, yeah, oh yeah. You know, him and Keziah Holmes were kind of forced into action from the injuries. To his credit, he made the most of what he was given. Just, I mean, just six carries, and so a really mm-hmm. small sample size. But I think he's going to be a real solid option moving forward because, you know, they're going to need him because, you know, we started the season, even before the season, we were saying, oh, this is a deep group, this is a deep yeah. group. You know, you have Journey Brown and Noah Kane at the, at the top, and then boom, we're finished with our first game of the season and both Journey Brown and Noah Kane are not going to be playing in the foreseeable future. Yeah. It was mentioned today that on the press conference that Noah Kane is going to be out for the season. James Franklin did not specify um, the injury. Um, we have some insight that it's possibly a broken foot. I know for the bloggy, I read their thing today about the game that they couldn't identify what happened you know, in the game that Noah Kane got hurt. Um, they couldn't pick out the play. They couldn't see him, you know, hobbling to the sideline or anything. Then even I was watching it, rewatching it today, and I'm just seeing him standing on the sideline, like as if he's normally healthy. It wasn't. He's on. He's on the the table, or you know, he's just sitting down. The whole, like he was standing up, looking like he was ready to go out and play. But Noah Kane's out for the year. So again, like you said, we go from one of the strongest running back rooms in the country to a true sophomore who didn't play too much last year and two true freshmen. And, but Kevon Lee definitely stepped up. Like you said, six carries, 35 yards. And I thought he looked the part. He looked the part mm-hmm. running through that Indiana defense. 
I, I'll, here's a guy I liked outside of like 10, 15 minutes of the game. And it's Sean Clifford. I thought the first drive, a little bit after that, and then to end the game, I thought Sean Clifford played really, really well. I don't know what happened for those 15 minutes or so. <laughs> In between that? Yeah. Um, I know one of our fans, you know, was commenting, like, didn't you watch the fourth of Bloggy? You know, he, 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 you see the mistakes, like, because he, he's off balance, all this stuff. Look, those mistakes that we saw were, like, we didn't know what happened. We, we knew that going into the game that he could have those mistakes, but, like, we're like, what are these? Mm-hmm. Outside of that, I thought he played a really good football game. And on the ground, he was so good, especially needing a run, somebody to run the ball without Noah Kane and Jordy Brown. He had 17 attempts, 119 yards. He averaged seven per carry. He had a touchdown, um, 35-yard run. Through the, through the air, he was okay, um, 24 of 35, 238 yards, three touchdowns, which gets boosted by the end of the game and going into overtime. And then, you know, the two interceptions that we mentioned that we, the one we, don't, we are not sure what he was doing on the screen pass. And then the one to fire him with the overthrew him, which could have been a really big play. But look, we need him to step up now in a big way. And I think he he looked the part of somebody that can do that the rest of the year. Um, and then I, here's something else I liked. And they were doing this really early in the game. The six offensive linemen sets. Did you notice that throughout the game? I didn't, no. They did this on the second play of the game, I know, where they, they did play action where they hit Jahan Dotson on like a 20-yard pass towards the sideline. He made an awesome catch on that with his fingertips. And then they were doing it towards the end of the – at the goal line, um, it didn't result in a touchdown. But the 6 0 line sets, they basically just add Caden Wallace to the line, and they're showing that they're willing to throw out of it. They're willing to run on it too. And we I mentioned that Caden Wallace is somebody that – the Penn State uh, coaching staff really likes. And just, that just gets him some time and some experience in the game. I thought the offensive line was really, really good this week, too. Uh, I know, like, I'll go back to Ford the blog here. They, they mentioned that there was only three plays out of 87 on offense that they really got beat. Otherwise, they dominated the Indiana defensive line the whole game. Um, so that was something I thought was pretty cool, and I liked that a lot. Some things we did not like. <laughs> I think we need to talk about Pinnaker here. Oh, yeah. Uh, missed some pretty huge field goals for them. Um, it just wasn't his day. When you lose a game by one point, this is what you look back on. It's plays like this, you know, little chip shot field goals that, you know, you don't capitalize on when you need to during the game. They, they really come back to bite you in the end. So I definitely think he was probably uh, one of the weak spots. Right after coming off me saying that I wasn't worried about the special teams in the last yeah. podcast. Um, but hopefully he could come become a little bit more reliable as the season go on because, you know, that's an aspect of the game they need to have locked down because, as we saw in this game, there's plenty of other issues to, to concentrate yeah. on. I think that the, the chip shot field goal at the end of the half where Penn State got the ball back on a fumble, like they had a golden opportunity that we talked about momentum swings throughout this game. That was a great opportunity where oh, we just stole some points. Let's go to the locker room. We're, we're on a high note. Um, I know Indiana gets the ball back, but our Penn State defense is going to just get the ball back right away, and then we go out and score. You know, I thought that was a really good opportunity to, you know, maybe seize the game there. What did you think of Jordan Stout? Um, I mean, obviously, um, really good effort on the on the field goal. Came up yeah. a little bit short. I, I, I mean, he made the, the long last year, um, so maybe you expect him to do it again. But just, I mean, on the kickoffs, he was fine. Mm-hmm. Um, 
really low line couple, drives too, where it's like yeah. it's gonna take your guy's head off. I know, I know. Like towards the end of the game, I, I was he kicked off, and I'm like, was there a penalty on that play? I was like, why did he like? It was just a line drive that like sailed over the end zone. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what what am I watching right now? <laughs> but um, just yeah, you know, he was consistent in that aspect, and. You know, as far as the field goal, you can't expect them to make every every they throw him out there for a fifty-seven yarder and expect him to make it every single time. Yeah. So, you know, I'm happy with how he played. And if if Pinnaker continues to struggle, you might see him, you know, start kicking some short to mid-range field goals in in, in Pinnaker's place. Yeah, and in terms, it was his first game punting as well. And I thought he, you know, he did the job. Um, you know, just we had the one penalty on the return. Um, that's not his fault. The ball's out of off his foot at that point. But uh, I thought he did well. Do you want to get to the mailbag? Let's do it. Okay, so we have two parts here um, from our buddy Jack Wint. Um, I'm going to split it up, one for the Ohio State podcast, one for the Indiana one here. His question is, what are the thoughts on some of the young talent we saw? He mentions uh, Joey Porter Jr., Adisa Isaac, Parker Washington, um, Gadger Lambert-Smith, Kevon Lee, etc. We mentioned Lee a little bit. We haven't talked about too many of the other guys what were your, some of your thoughts on some of the new guys that we saw, Brandon? Um, I was actually very impressed with Joey Porter Jr. Mm-hmm. Um, we saw the one play, the uh, the corner blitz that he came in yeah. and made a really nice play. It's like his dad. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah, I'm excited to see him. We uh, we talked about it last podcast. Like we, we have no idea what these guys are all about. We didn't see a spring game or anything. So just off of one game, I'm really, really happy with what I saw out of Joey Porter Jr. Washington, Parker Washington, you know, made some nice plays. I wasn't overly impressed with him as a player we just yet. A lot from him yeah, I think you know he had a lot of expectations going into the game. You know, we saw him on the the depth chart as as one of the top starting wide receivers. So we expected a lot from him. As far as Lambert Smith, I think only a couple catches. Um, so you know, I was always as excited for him because I, I I did see a lot of stuff in the preseason about him um, stepping up big time this year. I keep saying it. We haven't seen anything of, of these guys. So just from the small sample size, I'm excited um, for where Keandre Lambert-Smith is going to go. Not so impressed with Washington. Really excited about Joey Porter Jr. Yeah. Um, what did you think of somebody that you were high on going to the season, um, Keziah Holmes? Uh, I was actually a little bit disappointed. He only had five carries for 16 yards. Lee was the more impressive guy. Right. For sure. Uh, yeah, so I, I really thought going into it that, that Holmes would probably take the job from from Lee eventually. You know, we saw just a brief sample size of both of them, but, you know, Lee definitely impressed me more than, than Holmes did, and, and that really wasn't what I was expecting. For this group to be successful, both of these guys are going to have to be impressive because now that <laughs> now they're forced into roles that they probably weren't expecting going into the season. Yeah, I'm sure when they were getting recruited last year that James Franklin didn't say, uh, hey, uh, our one running back's going to transfer. Our other one's going to be out for the year possibly with a pre-existing uh, medical condition. The other one potentially you know, breaking his foot. You might be playing opening day. <laughs> you might be playing a lot coming yeah. into the season. Um, but I, I did think Lee looked more impressive than Holmes, not only you know on the stat sheet but also by the eye test. Um, I actually like Keandre Lambert-Smith. Only two, like you said, two catches for 25 yards. But I thought in his, the plays he made, he looked explosive. And mm-hmm. this is, you know, only two targets as well. I, I liked him. And you mentioned Joey Porter Jr. He had a, a really, you know, nice day. He's going to have to really keep playing at a high level going into uh, this weekend. He, he set the, the bar high for himself. Yes, so. he did. Just say that. 
Yes, he definitely set the bar high for himself. Uh, do you have anything else you want to touch on today? That's it. Yeah, so, again, Penn State lost a tough one. Um, one thing I, I do want to add here at the end, going into Ohio State, this loss almost doesn't mean anything if we beat Ohio State, which, yeah, it stinks. You don't want to lose to Indiana. That's it's the second time we've ever lost to Indiana, the first time going back to 2013. But, look, Indiana's – they're ranked ahead of us. Now they're 17th. If Indiana's a good football team, you know, like we kind of – Thought they were going to be in, you know, in the mix for some, uh, some a bowl game this year. Um, you know, maybe five, six wins. Just keep rooting for them. If we if we beat Ohio State, this loss goes away. It goes away. We're okay. It just on a national stage, I think a lot of critics and analysts are like, well, this Penn State team isn't that good because of all the mistakes that Penn State made. Otherwise, they, they really dominated this. So um, that's just me. I'm the optimistic Penn State fan you know, going through some of our For the Glory comments, it's, you know, a lot of negativity. Um, I'm definitely on the positive side of things. But, you know, then if they lose to Ohio State, mm, it's on too. Damn. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess you could, I guess you could call me someone who's on the more negative side, but especially when it comes to Ohio State. But, you know, this loss, I, I think it does more, like obviously the numbers would still line up that if they beat Ohio State, they could still do something with this season. Mm-hmm. But I, I just think, in the way that they lost this game, I, I really think that this is going to affect them for the rest of the year because it's something that they seem to do every single year is they just cannot, they get down on themselves after a loss and they just don't, can't seem to get over it. Mm-hmm. Um, they're coming off a heartbreaking loss and they're going into the biggest game of the, of the season for them. So I, I, I'm just not as confident as you are yeah. in that sense because of that reason. I, I do think they have a good team. They just need to be able to uh, fix the mistakes because if they don't, they're in for a rude awakening next week. Absolutely. You know, we're so used to Penn State coming into Ohio State week on a high note and being optimistic. Let's flip the script a little bit. Let's let's be a little bit down on them and, and not expect <laughs> too much. Uh, we thank you guys for listening um, to our podcast as depressing as it was to watch this game <laughs> on Saturday at the end and look at all the, the, the pictures and videos on social media after um, we thank you guys for listening again. Go out and follow us on Twitter uh, at For the Glory OLS. Keep following us on Facebook, For the Glory of Old State. And we'll talk to you next time. Have a good one, guys.